Have you ever looked at something and been so awestruck that you've said, wow. I have. And I know that King David has. Can you put Psalm 8 up, please, Gainer? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. This is what I love. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you've made him a little lower than, than the heavenly beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. I wonder who David's talking about. Think about it. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And then he repeats, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the faster birthdays seem to come along. And the more I think, what is the significance of my life? Life can be so uncertain that none of, none of us, not one of us in this room, knows, knows whether this will be our last day on earth. Whether it will be the last day of our life, the last year of our life. Even if it goes by so quickly, I ask myself, what have I accomplished of lasting value in the light of eternity? Now, it's, it's no secret, I'm 75 in a couple of months. And if the Lord gives me strength, grants me more years of health and strength, what should I seek to accomplish? C.T. Studd, uh, a great missionary and Christian guy in the last century, no, the, 18th, the 19th century, said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that is really, really true. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, which says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And at the end, Solomon, who wrote that, comes to the conclusion, it's only the Lord. The significance of our lives can only be measured in light of our relationship with Jesus. As we seek, to, uh, Paul very often says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. If you, if you, if you look at Paul's epistles, you'll find that in different words, but all the way through. So as we seek to walk in that manner worthy of the calling and serve our Saviour and our King, as we determine to live in the light of God's purpose for our lives, we will be content. Now there's one thing I pray virtually every day, virtually every day, and that's Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I, ask, I say, Lord, I trust in you. I acknowledge you. Please, Lord, guide me. Guide me. Show me the way I should go. 
It's important that our lives are lived with a focus on, inter- on eternity. Not a, yeah, you, you're, you're in today, but your focus is on eternity. Make your life count. I've seen a lot of people where, where their life is all about their career. There's nothing wrong with working hard. I, I encourage that. Work hard in the job that the Lord's given you. But it's not all, it's not, not all important. It's not about your house. It's not about your possessions. It's not about your car. I retired from the police. I'm delighted to retire from the police after a great career, after 30 years. So I retired at 52. Ooh, <laughs> good at it. <laughs> but as, as, soon as, I, as soon as I gave my notice in, there was a queue of people jockeying for position because they had a good job and they wanted me a job. And I stood back and looked and smiled. But always remember that you're only ever the temporary occupant of any chair. The focus of my thoughts this morning is verses 3 to 5 of uh, our psalm. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. God, wonderful. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. The son of man is our saviour. Okay? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You've given him dominion over the work of, work of, of your hands and you put all things under his feet. I want th- us to start by thinking about the wonder of creation. I don't know whether you've watched it, but I've watched a few episodes of Wild Isles, which was uh, David Attenborough's... Uh, he was looking at the wonder of, cre- of uh, creation. He didn't know that. But he was looking at the wonder of creation around the, the British Isles. If you haven't seen it, have a, have, a chat, have a look at it. You'll get it on iPlayer. I think he's a remarkable man, this guy. Perhaps the greatest naturalist of our generation. But I find it very sad that such a brilliant man just doesn't get it. He's totally sold on evolution as a fact when logic dictates that it can't be true. How about this for a wow factor? Think of David as a shepherd boy lying on his back in the fields outside Bethlehem. Looking up. He's got, his, he's got his sheep in the fold. He's already sorted out the lion and the bear. And he's looking up on his back, looking up at the heavens. And you can imagine it because there would have been no light pollution. So there'd been an absolutely amazing array of stars. You might have seen a comet flying across and the moon. Just because it's pitch black apart from the stars. And he's, he's looking at that and he says, wow, look at that lot. Look at that lot. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I felt like that. I have felt like that. If you've ever seen a really starlit sky, and I have... Uh, I've seen a starlit sky. One of the most amazing was actually the southern sky when I was in Australia with my son-in-law and uh, my daughter. And we went, drove out into the bush and we just stopped and he turned the lights off of the car and we got out and looked up and oh, it was just amazing. But I, I used to live in a place called Thurso, which is on the north coast of Caith Ness. Uh, and my bedroom actually overlooked the Orkney Islands. But I've, I saw skies like that there because there was very little light pollution. And it was there, at the age of eight or nine, and just wondering about the heavens. I said, God, if you're real, show me. 
It took me a while to catch on, probably about 20 years before God <laughs> did show me. But I want to declare here, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. One of the foundational truths of the Bible is that God is the creator of everything that exists. When we say that God is the creator, think about it. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void. There was no there. There was no there. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void. There was nothing. And God said, let there be light. And he created everything, didn't he? I've seen many things in my life. I've, yeah, I have. When I, uh, I was what, 58, something like that, I climbed Kilimanjaro. The summit of Kilimanjaro, nearly 6,000 metres. It's 5,845 metres. So it's more than five times higher than Snowden. And when I stood up there, and you're, it's pretty high, you're looking out and you can see the curvature of the earth from the mountaintop. Wow. You think, wow. And I've seen the Rocky Mountains in Canada and humpback and orca whales breaching in Alaska. And for those of you who know your birds, Marion even saw a corncrake on the Isle of Mull. <laughs> and my friend Glenn Rickard had not seen one yet. <laughs> I get a thrill when I, I go to the water park near us and I see a kingfisher. Or a grebe with chicks on its back. And actually, there's a, there's a couple of grebe who've bred. They're on the nest, and there's three eggs on the nest, so I'm looking out for that. I've been privileged to go on a, a short safari in Africa, and I've seen giraffes and other great creatures in their natural environment. However, you don't need to go that far. You don't, need, you don't even need to go to the Lake District or Scotland or Wales. I love going to all those places. Or your back garden to realise that the Creator's done an amazing God job. I've no doubt that God Almighty is the Creator. A few weeks ago, I was reminded of a kid's song. You can join in if you know it. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. The rivers are his, the mountains are his, the stars are his handiwork. We used to do that. The stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. Don't walk round with your eyes closed. Have a look at the world around you and you'll be amazed. God is an absolutely amazing creator. Now, I, I, I like taking pictures. I'm going to show you some of my pictures in a minute. I've look, looked up a few facts of these for some of these creatures. But don't forget that there are hundreds of thousands of creatures all over the world and each one of them is unique each one of them is a creation of our wonderful loving God have you ever thought why creatures are called creatures creatures yeah now let's have a look at the first one again uh, what we got uh, that's, a, that's a, not a particularly good shot actually but it's a, it's a, it's a great spotted woodpecker now think about this it makes 10 to 16 strikes every second. Duh, 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 duh. It, um, in frequently repeated one-second bursts. To protect its brain from, brain from the force it uses to make the drumming noises, it has a special hinge below its man lower mandible and its skull that spreads the force of the blow. And the skull is cushioned with a matrix of minute pockets of air supported by strength and bone tissue. 
This forms a shock absorber and it really needs it because the great spotted woodpecker can drum up to 600 times a day. Now evolved. Can you tell me what happened to the first one who didn't have that special? He would have smashed his head open. And it goes drumming into the, the oak tree. And by the way, who put the oak tree there? Right. I've got a couple of pictures. Next one, Kayla, please. That, that's a, a, a grebe. Last year, it sat on three eggs on the water park. If you want to see some fancy footwork, go down to the water park in early spring and watch the wild dance of great crested grebes. It's fantastic. They're, they're, their necks form a heart. And they, 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 I, don't, I don't know what they find attractive about it, but they, they put reeds around, the, around one another and stuff. And they, they uh, preen uh, and fan out their feathery ruffs, you know, the crest. But uh, one of the... Uh, oh, come on, let's have a look at another couple of pictures, I think, of Grebe. Uh, you can't... It's not, it's not very clear on there. Uh, I don't know what... Uh, there's, but can you see the chick on its back? There's a little stripy thing. Uh, and they're feeding the chick. They carry the chick round, uh, and uh, they take it in turns, mum and dad. By the way, I can't tell the difference between the mum and dad. They both look the same to me. Uh, and then another one, I think, is there? Yeah, carry on. There's its rough. Carry on, please, again, another one. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> you got that right. It's a nuthatch. And the thing about them is, you can get a tree creeper, the tree creeper goes up the tree. These can go up and down the tree because they've been specially adapted to go up and down the tree. Now, have a look at the next one. It's, this isn't a particularly good shot. Uh, it's one, I just dragged it out quickly. That's a kingfisher, and uh, they're, they're amazing. The design of their beak is so aerodynamically efficient, allowing it to die from its perch like a bullet. Uh, towards its prey to get its prey with maximum speed and minimum flashing. If ever you watch that, it's just fascinating. In fact, guess what happens with this? The beak design is so clever, so efficient, that the Japanese bullet trains are modelled on it. Now, one that, I, one that really makes me go wow is the next one. Right, that's an that's only owl, yeah? Now, they have sharp eyesight and large, big eyes that face forward. They can't turn their eyes. They have to turn their head. Their eyes are binocular, binocular vision, but they're fixed, making it easier to detect and pinpoint prey. To make up for the fact that their eyes are fixed, they can rotate their heads up to 270 degrees around and nearly upside down, thanks to the fact that they've got 14 vertebrae in the neck, whereas we've got seven. This extreme flexibility helps the birds to maximise preening, vision and flight. But their flexibility gets even more clever. And if you think that this evolved, well, you'll have to tell me how that happened. To protect the blood vessels in their necks, owls' arteries sit inside tubes in hollow bones and are cushioned by air sacs. They also have dilating arteries at the base of their necks which can provide the brain with blood if the flow is interrupted during a particularly violent swivel. That's clever, isn't it? Right, a puffin. Yeah. Now, where was that? That was in the Farn Islands. A puffin can fly as fast as 55 miles an hour and they can usually maintain an altitude of around 30 feet. 
They're one of the few fishes, fish, few birds able to carry loads of small fish in their beaks because their beaks are specially adapted. <laughs> uh, they, carry, they carry them crosswise in their beach, beaks uh, thanks to the fact they've got a unique hinge which allows the top half and bottom half to meet at different angles instead of slicing only straight up because if it did it would just chop the fish in half, wouldn't it? The puffin's rough, rough tongue can hold it to the roof of their beak, basically, while it opens its beak to catch more fish. And they carried the cap. 224 is not unusual. Is there another one? I don't know whether there is. What have we got? Eh? All right, keep going. Pass the, uh, no, that's, they're fulmers. They're quite interesting. But well, I'll move on because I don't want to take too long on this. Next one. That's a little bee. Without bees, apparently, civilization would cease to exist because they're, they're the, the best pollinators. Right, I've only given you a few examples, many, uh, that are in creation, and they all scream that they did not have all these attributes by an evolutionary accident. I don't believe that there was a primeval swamp on the earth and suddenly a slimy creature crawled out the swamp and over millions of years, that slimy creatures developed legs and arms and became homo sapiens. I don't believe that. Much is said these days about artificial intelligence and its potential threat. Now, artificial intelligence, or AI, is out there in many operations, applications. My daughter and son-in-law even have a vacuum cleaner that acts like a robot and does all the cleaning. Anybody want one of them, ladies? Something I know a little bit about is cameras. Many modern cameras use artificial intelligence. I'm blessed with a brilliant new camera, and it's stuffed with it, AI, and has an amazing autofocus system. For example, if I've only had it a couple of weeks, but if you point it at a, a branch with a bird sitting on a twig, it will automatically focus on the eye of the bird. That's clever, isn't it? Uh, it can also, for, for, like, for those latter-day motorcyclists, can automatically focus on the eye of humans and animals as well as the helmet of a rider on a speeding, speeding motorbike. And there are many other things it can do. However, these are much more remarkable. Our eyes are much more remarkable. The, your eye can focus from macro to telephoto in a split second. Also, did you know... Oh, this camera, by the way, it'll take, it, it can take how many shots a second? 40 take 40 photographs in a second but a hummingbird's wing can, can beat at 80, 80 beats a second the other thing is the camera cannot do it on its own it has to have a photographer behind it who can put in the right settings frame the shot and press the button God created the whole wonderful universe everything that we see and last of all he created man man is special because man is made in the image of God Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. It does not tell us that God created any other genders, nor does it tell us that we can choose our gender. He created them male and female. And that, that gender is assigned in the womb, really. The problem was though that man sinned and forced a separation between himself and God. That division can only be resolved by the shedding of blood. Thankfully, God had a rescue plan. 
reconciliation came through the shed blood of Jesus on a cruel Roman cross. Our Lord was there before everything else. He was there before Adam took his first breath. He created the earth, the sea, the skies, the galaxies, everything you see around you. <coughs> I want to bring these, these things together to focus on the phrase, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We can all identify with the insignificance that David felt when he looked up at the heavens. But the second part of this phrase refers to the Son of Man. The writer of Hebrews understands the psalm and helps us to understand what David is asking. He realized that everything is not subject to man and it was Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels and it is Jesus who put everything under his feet. In Hebrews it says this, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Is there any greater evidence for love for mankind than what Jesus has done? David asks, what is man that you are mindful of, it, of him? Man is God's creation and is loved so much by God that he was prepared to send Jesus to die in his place. The love of God is made manifest in Jesus. I don't know everybody in this room. You may not have had the experience of being loved. This may be a difficult concept for you. Let me tell you that I can stand here and say that I know that God loves me. Things haven't always been easy. I've not had an easy ride. And things may be difficult in the future. But I know that God loves me. I know that because one day God invaded my life and brought me to my knees. He enabled me to repent of my sin and to commit my life to my risen Savior. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How about that? God knew everything about you. He knew the depth of your sin. Yet he was willing to let Jesus die for you. We had a little granddaughter called Hope and she got cancer and after two years struggling with that she died at the age of nine. And I'm reminded of the little song which, which was sung at, her, grand, at our, her, her graveside. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I'm weak but he is strong. Now some years ago, I used to be the pastor at Billing. Some years ago I organized a service and I invited various people to, to share testimony. These were people who had suffered. People who had been through stuff. And they shared. It was a, it was a, it was a mind-blowing service. Two people came forward for salvation at the end of it. And um, these people shared their, their experience and they all finished with that. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was one of, I think it was the most powerful service I've ever organised. God's unconditional love has no bounds. It's unchanging and it's without limitation. It's given freely, no matter what. Every single person in this room has sinned. And sin brings separation from God. Nevertheless, God loves us. God loves you. 
God loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. In fact, he doesn't just love you and me, but he loves every single person in the whole world unconditionally and equally. Even if someone has never heard of God, even if someone says they hate him, he still loves that person unconditionally. God's love is unfathomable. It's perfect, but God is also just and righteous and cannot tolerate sin. I believe that the Lord has not come back before now because God has given people time to repent and bow the knee to him. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the nub of it. God loves us, but there's still that barrier between us and him. The only way that barrier can be removed is by confessing your sin and determining to follow Jesus. There's no other way of salvation. You can't just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. You have to bow the knee, confess your sin, and say, Lord, be Lord of my life. Confession, repentance, turning around, and following Jesus is the only way. <laughs> Going back to what Terry said at the beginning, said at the beginning, and uh, what really came out. While we're here, our brother, when he talked about unity, the love and unity. While we're here and we await the return of the Lord, we're commanded to love one another. There's a stark reality that if you don't know, don't love, you don't know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. The first letter of John tells us this. Peter also tells us that we need to really work at it. I nearly said, with some people, you have to work harder, but I didn't. We have to be determined to love one another. The end of all things is at hand. This is what Peter says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We're, we're much nearer to the return of Christ than Peter was. We don't know when it will be, but there is an imperative to maintain a holy lifestyle to work at loving one another. That's a call to action, folks. To love is not passive. It's a call to act in a loving way and to be loving to one another. How good are you at that? How good are you at forgiving? Are you loving when you gossip about another person? Are you loving when you hold hatred in your heart? Are you loving when you avoid another person or when you show no interest in their life? We are loved by God despite our sinful natures. And as he loves us unconditionally, so we too must love one another. I have no doubt that God loves me. This is a love that is so special. It's the love of the Father for one of his children. That's the same for you. This is the agape love that we've heard about. The Greek word that talks about God's fatherly love. But it's a, there's a, that's a reciprocal word. We have to love him too. The only reason that you're in a position to reciprocate the love of God for you is because of what Jesus did on the cross. We, this brings us back to our psalm. We must consider the Son of Man who was made a little lower than the angels. We must consider this Jesus who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. This Jesus who was brought up in Nazareth and had a three-year Galilean ministry before walking to Jerusalem to fulfill his destiny. 
That destiny took him to, through betrayal, false accusation, to kangaroo court, to Golgotha, where he was butchered for me and for you. But that wasn't the end of the matter. Three days later, Jesus rose again. Amen. Hallelujah, yeah? Um, that's a fact if you know Jesus as your saviour. You're really permitted to shout hallelujah. Hallelujah! Come on. The fact that Jesus indisputably rose again is now seated at the right hand of the Father gives us a sure and certain hope that as he rose again, we too will rise again and have eternal life. The only condition being that you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And I'm, I'm coming to a close. That question, I, well, I have a question for you. And it's a fundamental question for every single one of you. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? So important. Because if not, you're in a precarious, perilous position. As I said earlier, not one of us knows when we take our last breath. Not one of us. So if the Lord is challenging you today, now is the time. Now is the hour. Allow the living God to come into your life. Repent of the wrong things you've done and come to Jesus today. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is waiting for you to come to him. God bless you. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.